Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Uh, it's a funny little line to start a song, but it's also um, just like a truism. It's very helpful for us that sometimes when we're trying to reevaluate something, it is very helpful to start at the very beginning, to go back to where you were. Uh, sometimes in couples struggle in their marriage, they'll have a counselor tell them, well, what attracted you to one another in the first place? Why did you guys get married to begin with? And that's a helpful thing to remember the early days of a relationship. Uh, in your career or in your school, there undoubtedly comes a time where you go, why am I doing this? I don't even like this job, blah, 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 blah. And it's helpful to go, well, how did you get into this? Why did you start doing it? Why did you begin that degree program? And when we go back to the beginning, we can remember some of our, our passions from the start. It's the same way with kids. Uh, baby pictures are super helpful when they get older and obnoxious. Being able to pull up the baby picture and go, oh, maybe it doesn't feel that way right now, right? We have lots of baby parents in the room and babies maybe feel like, oh, they just grow up. But there will come a point where they'll become mouthy and sarcastic and be able to return your comments. And then you will long for the days that they would sit in your chest and go blah, 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 instead of making fun of you or saying things about you, right? It is so helpful sometimes to go back to the beginning as you evaluate where you're at. Uh, as Preston said, we kind of spend this time in service every year. Uh, we do this annual meeting and we talk about where we want to go. We talk about vision. Uh, some of this is because we want to be somewhat democratic in our structures. We want to have opportunities for you guys to give feedback to the leadership team and for the leadership team to address you directly. Uh, but some of it is just, uh, it's just helpful to start out a new year with kind of a clean slate. And as we evaluate where we are as a church, I want to start at the beginning because it's a very good place to start. And so I'm going to preach a text today that is, one of the first sermons that I ever preached here at the feast is not the same sermon. It's the same text as one of the very first I did. It is shocking and humbling and awesome to me how few of you were in the room, probably, the last time I preached this text. Um, but it's helpful for us because it will help uh, ground us in who we are as a church. And my hope is this text will remind us of kind of our core values. What we're going to do is we're going to read this text and then we're going to put them uh, in comparison to our core values. Uh, if you don't know your core, the core values of our church, that's embarrassing for me because that's my job to make sure that you do. But there are also the things that are on this beautiful bullet, uh, bulletin blackboard back here that Seth made for us a while back. And so those things that you see on that blackboard, those are the core values. So we're going to read a text. It was an early text that we preached here. We're going to go through our core values and just remind ourselves of who we're trying to be as God's people. Oh, and this is a picture from our very first Sunday. That's why that's up there. Some of you know that, but uh, some of you might not. Luke 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him 
and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Uh, This is one of many stories in the Gospel of Luke where we see Jesus at table fellowship, right? This is one of the core metaphors that we have at the feast is the idea that Jesus has an open table to everyone and that Jesus will sit and eat with anyone. And Luke gives us a series of these stories throughout his gospel where Jesus is constantly showing up to parties and eating. We even hear that Jesus uh, is criticized as being a drunk and a glutton because all he ever does is sit around and drink and eat food with people. Because that's just the way Jesus is. And so at the core of Jesus' ministry in Luke is this open table. And that's very important for Luke because that open table is the space in which he invites new people. Which is important for Luke's theology of how women are invited into the kingdom of God in a radically new way. And how Gentiles are welcomed into the kingdom of God. And and lepers and sick people and the poor and shepherds and Just Luke constantly is throwing at us outcast people, people who are not good enough for society, who are welcome to the table of the Lord. And so this is a text we preach very early on that the core metaphor of what we want to be as a community is a place where people who are not welcome other places find a place of welcome and embrace around the table of the Lord. And I want to just dig into kind of how our values play out in those things and kind of where it might encourage us to go in the next year. Um, Our first core value is dialogue. The idea that people learn best when they talk back and forth than when they're just spoken to. Uh, This is represented in our church most significantly in the Q&A that we do at the end of our sermons, right? The idea that you get a chance to say and ask things at the end and not just sort of blindly accept it. And so dialogue has been an important part of what we've done. We try to create spaces to have conversations. It's one of the reasons we love Alpha Course, because Alpha ends with a very open, what did you think question at the end of the session. So people can interact and talk about these things, have uh, t- dialogue back and forth. Uh, the dialogue here is very interesting because Jesus sees the judgmentalness of Simon the Pharisee, but instead of just railing on him, right? Like if it was modern day, Jesus would pull out his phone and tweet, I'm at Simon's house and he's a big bully, right? I mean, it would just rip on people. This is the world we live on in where if someone makes a mistake, you publicly chastise them. And Jesus doesn't do that at all. Instead, Jesus says, 
let's have a conversation, Simon. And Simon, not realizing he's about to walk into a trap, right, goes, oh, yeah, sure, Jesus, that's great. Let's talk. And Jesus has this interesting little conversation about someone who's forgiven a lot of money and someone who's forgiven a little money. And in that conversation, he attempts to persuade Simon to change his mind, to be a different person, to see the truth of the Jesus way of living. And that conversation, that persuasion, is part of the reason that we have an open table. Because when you have an open table for new people to come in and talk, they realize and learn things that they wouldn't have learned if you just preached at them. Jesus didn't stand on street corners, generally speaking, with megaphones, partially because they didn't have megaphones, right, and just scream at people, right? This is not Jesus' approach to preaching. He has a conversation back and forth with them, and he tries to persuade them. Uh, This is something we want to continue to still do as a church. We want to be a place for conversation. We want to be a place for speaking and for listening. This is the thing I was kind of convicted about as I thought about this idea of dialogue, is I think as a church, we are really attractive to people who like to talk. Because this is a place where you get to talk. And that's cool. We want to be that. I want to encourage us also to be people who listen. Sometimes I get the sense when we're engaged in some conversation or the other, whether it's here or in a feast group or whatever, sometimes I can tell people have a a narrative that's going in their brain that is going strong. And it is going so strong that no matter what scripture we're talking about, no matter what conversation we're having, they are going to talk about that thing. And that's okay. Sometimes life can be, uh, have like really pressing things that we need to talk about. But I would just encourage this year, let's be people who both speak and listen. In particular, let's be people who listen to God's word. Let's be people who allow the Lord to speak to us. I think sometimes we're a little guilty of coming to Sunday morning wanting a particular thing so bad that if God tries to tell us anything else, we go, shut up, that's not what I want to talk about. And I would just encourage us to be people who listen, people that hear the word of the Lord. And it may be that the sermon that morning or the passage that morning or the Bible study topic is not what you wanted to hear, but God wants to actually tug on your ear and take you somewhere new, but that requires listening. Uh, We're not going to change anything as far as providing places for you to speak and share. I just want to encourage us to be people who has a back and forth. That we hear from God and we go, well, okay, God, but what about this? And then we listen again, and then we push back again, and we listen again. That that conversation allows us to grow and allows God to work in our lives. The second core value we have is family. And if you guys have been around here for any period of time, you will know that this is the one I didn't like. Right? We sat down, Fran and I did a strategy session together uh, as we were starting to plant this church These values come from Fran and I, and at that point, some of you who were part of our community already. And we're trying to figure out what we wanted to be. And Fran said, well, we have to be family. And I was like, ugh. It just seemed like such a, I don't know, such a frou-frou. Oh, we're going to be family. I don't know. And then there was this idea that I really didn't want people to feel like, oh, you can only come to our church if you have kids. Kind of has turned into that lately, but you know, it's really not what we want to be, right? We want to be a place where everybody is welcome. And if you don't have kids and you're not married, that you're welcome here too. And I was like, so what does that family thing mean? And Fran said, no, it needs to be a place where no matter how lonely you feel you are, you feel like you have a family here. And I said, okay, dear, I, I, I acquiesce. I will do as you say. 
And what's there is, in this passage, is a sentence by Jesus. It's an incredible question. Simon, do you see her? Um, it's very fascinating the way Luke tells the story. Luke, as the narrator, is setting you up. He tells you about a sinful woman and about a Pharisee. Notice the only person that ever uses anyone's name in the whole story is Jesus. We would not know the Pharisee's name was Simon if he had not said, Simon, let's talk. And Luke wants to get you that way. He's moving your momentum to that way. Look at how he describes this woman. She is a sinful woman is how she's introduced. And then the Pharisee goes, he would know what kind of woman she is that she's sinful, right? Like we are getting hit by the narrative in the face that this woman is her sin. And Jesus says, no, she is a human being. Her sins are something separate. There's something different. But who she is is more important than what she has done. And Jesus looks at her and sees her as a person. And so this is the value of family. The value of seeing someone as a human being and welcoming them and embracing them as a human being, first and foremost, with lack of concern about what they've done or where they've been. Because ultimately, Jesus sees her as a person first. And it's what we want to do. It's who we want to be. We want to have those relationships where we see one another. And you know, there's push and pull to that. For some of you, you need to be better about embracing other people and welcoming other people into your lives and your hearts and your community. Some of you need to be better about being welcomed by the community. There are some of us who really like to hold on pretty tight to our stuff and we don't like to share it. And so... Um, family sounds nice, but it also sounds scary and it sounds vulnerable and I'm not going to go there and I'm not going to do that. And there's always a push and a pull with these things. Um, people can only say you are welcome here so many times before they're just, you know, they're going to assume that you're just not interested, right? And so we want to constantly work on this as a community. How do we welcome in people, but also how do we take responsibility? It is one thing to knock at someone else's door. It is another thing to open your own. And some of us need help with one and some of us need help with the other. But if we trust one another and engage in that kind of community, we can find family that really will hold us up and support us so that we can be seen, not for our issues or our problems or you know, the person that looks like this or the person that has this job, but as human beings, as a person. And that's the promise of family that God offers. Uh, our next value is generosity. Obviously, this woman is a great example of what it means to be generous. She has outdone Simon at every uh, turn. Uh, just as a reminder, if you've not been through the story before, when Jesus asks, uh, when Jesus says, hey, you didn't give me any water, you didn't greet me with a kiss, you didn't put oil on my head, uh, these sound a little diva-ish for our society, Right? Usually when you have house guests, you probably don't provide water for their feet or anoint their head with oil or kiss them. But this is something that wouldn't have been that uncommon in the ancient world. Uh, in fact, when you're walking around with sandal feet all the time, having water available for your guests to wash off their feet is just, it's just the basics. Okay? Uh, what Jesus is saying is, Simon, you have fallen down at the very basic core of hospitality. You're a terrible host. 
because you're selfish and you're stingy is kind of the subtext of what Jesus is saying. He says, but this woman, she's going crazy. She's doing your job for you. In your house, she is making me feel welcome because she is so overwhelmingly generous. We said that we wanted to be a church that gave uh, deeply of our money and our time and our energy. And I know as I start to talk about these things, people hear me saying, we've got to talk about attendance and giving. And we do have to talk about attendance and giving. But it's not, it's not just that. I want to encourage you to be people of passion. This woman had no problem giving her perfume and her tears and her hair because she was so overcome with emotion that Jesus had welcomed her in. And that's the thing that worries me most when we talk about how generous are we being with our time and our energy and all those kinds of things. Is, is, there, is there passion there? Are there people who have been so touched by the Lord that they just want to give back to God for what he's done in their life? And so when we talk about the generosity thing, it's an important heart thing. Is my heart so overcome with emotion and passion for what God has done for me that I live it out every day? And that's really part of what that generosity question uh, is. Our last one is the one I think that I picked and Fran was like, oh, okay, whatever. Because uh, it's the most confusing. It's called, uh, we say it's about trajectory. I have here some old nautical instruments that would help you chart a course in the ocean. What is your trajectory in life? Where are you headed? For us, this is the life change piece. See, what's really interesting is the text is very clear for us. That Simon is a Pharisee, which means he's a religious person, he's well-studied, he keeps the rules, he is a pretty righteous guy, so to speak. And this woman is described very early on as a sinful woman. And if we're just kind of like measuring who's ahead and behind in the race, if that's what life is about, then this Pharisee is ahead of this woman. But that is not what Jesus looks at. Jesus looks at trajectory. Jesus looks at what direction they're headed towards. And this woman is headed towards greater, softer heart, a willingness to do God's work. She is being shaped towards who Jesus wants her to be. And this Pharisee is on a trajectory straight to hell with his self-righteous indignation. And this story is a story that it's not about how good or bad you are. It's whether you're running to Jesus or you're running away from Jesus. It's a woman who's running towards him and a man who's running away from him. And we really believe that life change is important. Um, This is really a weird balance, okay, as a church. We want to be super welcoming, right? But I also do not want this church to be a place where you can be comfortable coasting. If you've not grown or changed in a while, that's not good. Living organisms, living faith, the scripture tells us, moves and changes and develops and matures. And so I'm going to encourage you to consider, how am I maturing? We'll talk about this in a few minutes, but I want to challenge all of you to do something new this year. I will not tell you what that is. For some of you, I might suggest what that could be, but I will not tell you what that is. But try something new. Branch out to someplace different. Because when you do that, you get out of your competency and you get into a place where you go, God, I don't know what I'm doing. And guess what? That really opens your prayer life up. 
This is one of the reasons Fran and I got into church planning. We didn't, we weren't sure we'd be good at this and we're still not totally sure, but we thought this was the place and the thing we could do where we would need God's help to get it done. And so I want to encourage you to try something this year that you think, oh man, I'm going to need God's help to get it done because in that you will grow and develop and set a course for coming closer to Christ, not farther from him. Those are our core values and they're in this text that's at kind of a core of who we try to be as a church. Um, it'd be my encouragement that you do grow, that you do develop, that you use these things to consider what God might want to do in your life. I pray that we can continue to have new spiritual conversations with people as the new year rolls on, that we can continue to love and sacrifice for others um, as family members, that we continue to give... um, abundantly of ourselves and our time and our money and our resources, that we continue to mature and grow into the calling that God has given us and that God can continue in all those things to bless us as a church and as a people. All right, we are going to have, oh, Q&A. I almost forgot that. Jeez, that would have been embarrassing given the sermon content. Uh, Do you guys have any questions about the sermon before we do our worship time? Um, I don't remember the word break. I'd have to go back through it. If she did, it would just be the idea of like, this is all going to Jesus, right? Like she's not going to take a little bit out and then take the rest of it home. Uh, and other versions of the story, it emphasizes how much money this cost and that this is just an extravagant gift and it, it's being given and never taken back. Does that make sense? And so I think that would be there if, if we had that language. The nice thing, with, the thing with perfume is you can't really give it back, right? You know, unless you like rub your neck against whoever, you know, you put it on to. Like it's, it's sticking with whoever gets it, so.